Living in a scientific age, we need citizens who know enough about science to make intelligent decisions about what they do. We use science to, to prolong life, to increase security and happiness. But it can also be used for destruction. Are we going to use it constructively? It'll be up to you. Oh, no. I can still hear you. Yeah. Oh yeah. I I can still. Can you still? I couldn't hear I any can. of the intro, and I'm having a I'm having a meltdown on my end. Um, <laughs> <laughs> one moment, please, Mark. Can you vamp for a little bit? Uh, you, you bet. Let's let's. I'll <laughs> while you do that, I'll talk about poop jokes. So oh, fantastic. So uh, I I was gonna gonna tell one poop joke, but it was too corny. Um, what's big and brown and behind the wall? Humpty's dump. <laughs> Humpty's dump. Uh, poop jokes aren't my favorite jokes, but they are a solid number two. Oh, um, there we go. So, I was waiting for that part. So, um, I, I bring up poop jokes. Uh, do you need some more time? Well, my, my quick time is like freaking out on me, so I'm just we'll just be using whatever audio the board is pulling uh, <laughs> on this. So all right, and then I and then yeah, it was a disaster of, of quick time, and then I thought I accidentally closed my Firefox window, which has like 50, <laughs> 50 open tabs I need right now. So hold on. You know, there's other Can ways. Cancel that clip. Yes. <laughs> other ways to what, Mark? to to document things <laughs> to live my life <laughs> than the than the disaster that it currently is <laughs> the, the fact that closing firefox is results in 50 different things being terminated no 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 no, no. that that was just one of the things i was trying to close quicktime and then I accidentally pressed the button too many times to close Firefox, and then it was just. But right. for some reason, that happens to my QuickTime every once in a while. Attention, not nerd. I just went to uh, record, and you can tell by like the time, uh, the time you're recording. You know, it keeps a little counter on the one side. It just keeps like going up exponentially, and like nothing works, and it's it's so crazy. So I don't know if that's just a random bug for this. But I am here, and it appears that uh, I don't have to worry about recording on my end now. <laughs> Perfect. But I meant to say, and I even I put it, I didn't mean to paste it in the show notes, but happy Veterans Day. I forgot to uh, mention that to you. We uh, we went out to um, get a couple, you know, uh, we, we got a coffee yesterday, and... and uh, Oh, do a, they give free, free? Do they give any free things for? Yeah. Yeah. This year's uh, the the veterans are are less uh, appreciated than last year. Last year was like the free free bonanza giveaway, but uh, everybody's wow. tightening their belts. You're being spit on by <laughs> people who are blaming you for the war. <laughs> yeah, BJ's went from like a free meal to a free dessert cookie. Uh, you know, things like that. And, and yeah. It's, it's tough well, times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we need to be caring for our veterans more right. by giving them free things. So I uh, stumbled upon, I think, 
I think it must be on Netflix because like every six months I'm like, I wonder if they've cracked out on that password yet. And then I'll poke around in, in your Netflix account for a while and realize I'm overwhelmed by choice and run away and watch YouTube again. But I stumbled on this little docu-series. Um, it's called Big Vape, I believe. Okay. And it is about the uh, company Juul, J-U-U-L, that makes those little e-cigarettes. And it is a really, I didn't think, I, I was like, oh, I'll give it 10 minutes or whatever. And of course I get sucked in. But it's a fascinating look on like how that company was formed, like with a passion to get people to stop smoking. Like their whole goal was to eradicate smoking. And it's their journey of like designing it and researching and then different people coming in. And now every single teen is addicted to it. And it's like so efficiently uh, designed <laughs> to deliver nicotine in a way that like nothing had like so... I haven't watched the, I think it's five episodes. I thought it was only four, but I, so I watched the the last one tonight, but it's a really, it's uh, been a really, a really neat story if you're into are the, company. Are like the that. health drawbacks of vaping, are they <laughs> understood enough to say, is it I'm worse hoping, than smoke? I'm hoping that's or what this better, last, better this smoke? last, yeah, this last episode is about because they haven't addressed that yet. And like, I've noticed when I've vaped things before, that it is much, much more irritating on my throat and my lungs than when I just smoke cigarettes. And I don't know if it's just a difference, but I'm waiting for that thing because I, in the little, the, in the first episode when they like, here's what's coming on, you yeah. know, whatever. They did have a thing where like all these kids were, I was like a huge rise in hospital stays for respiratory things in teens. So I'm guessing it is getting to that hopefully in this last episode. But yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting watch. So if you're into that, it's a good thing. I believe that's on Netflix. So, uh, you know, the the uh, Thanksgiving season is upon us and we're approaching Thanksgiving. And uh, the day after Thanksgiving, um, do you know what Yelp refers to as uh, the day oh, after boy. Thanksgiving? Brown Friday. As, Ew. <laughs> as, no uh, way. So uh, Yelp has... Uh, brought together all of the data and uh, because people go there to search for things like plumbers or get a quote for a clogged toilet or whatever oh. uh, and so Yelp has brought together the, the data and sifted through all the spreadsheets and said uh, the top 30 cities in the United States who clog up their toilets on brown friday and uh let's let's just go down the top five uh number Perfect. five well before you before go, you go start ahead. that yeah i just realized that i think talking into my mic is pointless because you're not getting it and i'm not recording on my end okay yeah it's totally so fine. i will just move that out of the way pushing that cough <laughs> button certainly didn't work it, <laughs> it looked interesting it made you look like you're a radio person <laughs> All right, let's talk about the, the shittiest shittiest cities. So <laughs> so up eighteen percent this year, uh, and this is twenty twenty two data. Uh, so as we look into twenty twenty three, here's here's the cities to to watch. At number five, Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, they okay. uh, and then at number four, Indianapolis, Indiana, and number three, Raleigh, North Carolina. Number two, Virginia Beach, Virginia, and holding the number one place, 
Portland, Oregon. No. We oh are the shittiest city. <laughs> wow. I was yeah. trying to think. You were reading off that list, and I was trying to think, well, what do these places have in common? And just it doesn't sound like no. bad digestive systems, I bad, guess. Bad. Yeah. Lots of uh, yeah, interesting food. And I uh, wonder if you dated those cities back to when they were started. Uh-huh. I wonder if that's part of it, like bad plumbing or oh, right. uh, yeah, I don't know. Oh, yeah, that's, that's weird. And so well, there's there's 30 cities, and they they you know run the gamut from New York to Las Vegas, Los Angeles, Washington D.C., San Francisco, but holding the number one place, Portland, Oregon. Wow, ironically, not number two. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> and so. Uh, there's well, there's Mark, all your poop jokes in in one one episode <laughs> in one solid uh, block of. <laughs> well, I had a a harrowing disintegration of trust this past <laughs> <laughs> this past yesterday. When when was it? So yeah, uh, our friend Brian the Unipiper is out uh, on the East Coast for uh, his friends and our our friend to Steve's uh, wedding, and so. Um, in the group chat, I I don't remember if I woke up to it when you posted it, but he, his car is parked outside your your house. Yep. And or so the story goes. Uh, and you posted this picture of in front of your house with Brian the Brian's... Unipiper kids, a very specific Unipiper car, and so with another car that had plowed into it. Yeah. So what it what had happened is, uh, we take Brian to the airport. We live pretty close to the airport. He parks his car in front of our house. We'll pick him up and drop him off. And uh, and so I, I was looking out at the car. I'm like, boy, uh, that seems very uh, well poised to run a little AI trick on this. And so I stopped the car and got out and took a couple photos and brought it into Photoshop. And then I just circled an area and I said, car crashes and destroys is all I put. <laughs> into generative AI and it made one version and the uh, the wheel was kind of wrong so I circled the wheel area and, and just had it fix that and uh, um, so I literally spent not five minutes like less than five minutes on, on this and so then we wanted the correct timing he was at Steve's wedding, which is was on Friday. We knew that he was doing a little sightseeing on Saturday, flying home on Sunday. And so Saturday, we're sitting around. Nick is notorious for lying <laughs> and, well, we've, and for we've running come jokes. To, we've, we've, yeah, we've been, uh, over the years, we've been calling them Nick jokes. Right. Which are just lies, but... <laughs> Of like when he said like your neighbor died or whatever it's like she, it's like well that's not funny, funny. it's just <laughs> shocking so yes yeah yeah like and so yeah nick jokes have been our our running and so we knew that nick couldn't purport this uh this incident and i had to be involved and so uh we coordinated and we said okay so i'm gonna call brian while you text this photo to him. Okay? And so then we got the dog all riled up and the dog is barking, barking, <laughs> barking. And I call him like, hey, Brian. Yeah, the uh, Penelope, shut up. You know, just like, oh, all my stuff. And she's barking in the background. It's just, t- it just sounds chaotic. I'm like, yeah, t- 
Brian, uh, there was a drunk driver with a stolen vehicle. There was an accident. They ran into your car. Uh, the police are on foot looking for... Oh, the police are back at my door. Hold on. I, I'll call you right back. Click. I just hung up. And that's all I said. Uh, <laughs> and I so did then, not know you did that. And then Nick sent that photo. And that photo, at first glance, is very... Uh, yeah, it's like a burned out husk of a car that crashed into the Unipiper's car, which is all smashed, but you can still see. And then like, so you drop that into the group chat. <laughs> and so and, like it was. So I had the full conversation. So I let Brian sit on that for about three minutes, just just <laughs> enough for him to like share that information with his friends that he's with and for him to get into a mild panic but nothing else, right? And yeah, so well, that's I, good. and so then I call him back, and I'm like, uh, "We're just joking." And and he's like, "What?" <laughs> and I said, "Yeah, there was an AI photo," and and he <laughs> laughed, and he's like, "I just showed this to our friends, and oh my gosh, what that was great." And uh, and so he took it really well, and then we you know wrapped it up, and so then the the mark was done. And so then I could get the secondary marks by dropping that photo into our group chat and just letting it hang there. Well, and that's because I think it must have been now looking back um, during my bath time, which I was not checking my messages. <laughs> and so uh, when I got back, I saw the picture and I saw that it had been like in the chat for like an hour <laughs> right? with like nothing behind it. And so like. I looked at it and I don't, I think I must have clicked to embiggen it or whatever. And I, I looked at it and my brain told me something's off about right. this, but Mark is sending this. <laughs> and so I literally and specifically set aside my own criteria of judgment because I had put my faith in, in, and trust. Sorry. <laughs> into that. So it reminded me of the time and maybe now we're finally even 20 years ago or so when I, we were hanging out and you, uh, we were watching TV or movie or something. I don't know what we were doing. And you had fallen asleep because it was like <laughs> nine 30 or whatever. <laughs> And I forget what I was, I was eating popcorn or something like that. And I kept throwing it at you. Right. And then you had that final time be like, all right, that's enough. And I was like, okay, I promise. But then I did it like one more time after that because it was funny. Right. But then I, like never again. And so. And I believe, we have, I believe there was a similar time when you just started stacking things on me. Is that true? I, I, I notoriously, I cannot stay awake during like i've never seen the end of a drive-in movie that you know never that that's just yeah. never happened i don't uh, know if i ever stacked yeah, so. anything in you i do remember putting a giant zucchini on, <laughs> on my ex-wife once nice. <laughs> nice. picture i still had pictures of that and it's hilarious because she's just sleeping and there's like a she would have foot long zucchini balanced on her forehead which is pretty great i thought it was funny but then again i am no longer married so. <laughs> how did that work out uh yeah so yes well done on that nick joke and then like going back to that picture i was like okay well what did set my brain off and it was like the driveway looks weird that yep. one bush is in the wrong place yeah. and then i looked at the lettering on the side of the it's thing and it was like scrambled. well what does it say because it says Portland weird and his car says keep Portland weird and like huge block letters on the side. But I was like, well, that letter before that or that word before that isn't keep. And like, so, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's... But for, I mean, for it being a five second, whatever AI generative thing, it's, 
yeah, in passing, you're like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. It's... I'm glad I didn't post it to Facebook being like, this is what Portland has become. Whatever. <laughs> what? People who use AI? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, anything else we want to chat about before we get into some news? I had a lot of fun uh, last week at Portland the Movies. Uh, we had uh, guest Ooh, yes. hosts. Um, with us yeah talk about that it was a great episode yeah uh, so the the movie is called green room and uh not for the faint of heart or the young of age it's uh, a very violent very uh gory yeah thriller live, thriller movie yeah. and uh and so we had the uh uh two of the hosts from the scariest things podcast uh which is uh a According to them, the thirty, they have the thirty-fifth most popular blog on. Uh, uh, yeah, the, when they told the me they were in the horror. Yeah, I think in the, in the horror uh, genre. In the horror genre, as far as podcasts go, and there's like two billion podcasts or whatever. Yeah. But when he said that, which was not a figure I was aware of, like I'm like, oh, oh, they're slumming it <laughs> on our show. <laughs> but they had uh, just such great insights into the horror genre and references, and like, oh, you can kind of see this being called a uh, callback to this kind of trope, and you know, and and uh, uh, you know. Uh, Patrick Stewart is in the movie and it's it's just really really interesting take to hear uh experts in that genre kind of dice it up and, and yeah uh, that was really nice that was I'm, really I, cool I'm, I'm glad it occurred we met them at a um one of uh the convention it was like the retro gaming thing yeah. or one of the they had a they had a booth uh wizard uh, world, for their podcast a wizard world yeah yeah uh, set up next to the Unipipers, and so we started talking in, and just kind of kept up over the years. But it's like, oh, they would be perfect because this is a good movie, so we should we should respect the conversation we have about it, and, <laughs> and they'll know a lot more about about this. And so yeah, I boy, they a, did a great episode. Yeah, so, so go to the Port Portland the movies, and uh, and check out that episode. It's uh, really good. Please do, and rate us and leave a review. I guess is what we're all supposed to say uh, all yeah. the time. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why we've capped out in. <laughs> in subscribers over the years we forget that we keep forgetting to say that although i think the one of the one of the uh visible reviews for the mark and todd gas is like this is just two middle-aged boring white men and i was like well <laughs> they're not wrong <laughs> hashtag mark and todd cast yes <laughs> all right well let's move into some news i didn't quite have a time to edit this first one all the way because it's hot off the presses but uh, Taylor Swift, of course, the the cultural joggernaut that is Taylor Swift right now is in the middle of recording um, six, six of her old albums because the record company is getting all of the royalties for that. And she as the songwriter, performer, producer, all of that is not getting what uh, she wants. So uh, she's made it her mission to redo six of her old albums. But record labels are trying to prevent artists from re-recording their albums for decades. Um, record companies aren't a fan of that. There's uh, huge labels that are trying to implement new con contract clauses. That oh, That's what, another one of those words where it's contract and contract. One of them is a oh, noun, yeah. one of them is a verb. Uh, contract clauses that prevent artists from recording their music up to, up to 10 to 30 years. 
um, but they're facing pushback from artists and attorneys. The first time I saw it, I tried to get rid of it in, in, entirely, says Josh Karp, a veteran attorney who has viewed the restrictions. Um, Gandar Suvar, who also is the attorney for, or the attorney for the, what I'm assuming is a band, Cigarettes After Sex. We've seen them live. We, we love that band. Oh, nice. Yeah. Built to Spill, which is a band I recognize, uh, and Jeff Rosenstock, who I don't know, uh, revealed that he saw that in a contract with a, with up to 30 years, and he's not used to seeing that. So um, Taylor has recorded four of her albums after Big Machine Records, unbeknownst to her, oh, sold her masters to uh, this Braun, who I'm assuming is Scooter Braun, who was her manager in 2019. So yeah, there was a falling out between Scooter Braun, who has also um, worked a lot with Justin Bieber. Um and big in the industry bought and so he was and so to spite him which good for taylor swift so if she wants to beat madonna's record the way to do it is to re-record all the stuff that has already sold a billion things knowing that they're screwing someone out of out of getting her profit so good for her awesome do you use doordash and all or grubhub we, or we use things? we use grubhub we're we're a grubhub family yeah. Okay, I've never really ever used that before, but now good news, Mark, for our Portland at the movies with DoorDash, Grubhub, and Uber Eats are going to deliver movie snacks at home. Now, it doesn't address this in the article, but see if if you arrive at the same conclusion as I do after the end of this. Um, theaters say consumers crave movie snacks both in and out of the theater. Cinemark said it's the first exhibitor to partner with three delivery services and hopes to bring it out through that the rest of the year. Quote, although there is nothing like indulging in your favorite movie theater concession while watching great content in one of our immersive auditoriums, we are thrilled to give fans <laughs> dot, across dot. the mark. <laughs> we are thrilled to now give fans access uh, across our markets the ability of their favorite concessions delivered to the homes um, when they aren't able to make it. So blah, blah, blah. What is What do you, Mark, as a reasonable human being, what do you see as the big flaw in this? Well, if if I'm sending snacks to somebody's house, they're definitely not coming into the movie theater, uh, right? And there's no so yet. there's no connection t- specifically to the movie, like their Cinemark. Their job is movies, right? And so, they're 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 and not Grubhub, not well, Grubhub. The thing, the thing that I can't make sense of, like I get it if you want movie theater popcorn at your house sure that makes sense to me but like our favorite movie theater snacks are just candy that you buy at the store (laughs) right like i don't need cinemark to give me reese's pieces (laughs) or whatever (laughs) so i yeah it's it's a i i feel like it's a flail in any direction to try to 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 make monies on uh, as far as theaters go but yeah i don't see outside of popcorn do you you feel like maybe it's a marketing like a pr thing where uh we we love everyone even if you stay home uh to watch movies from home like we'll support you there too you know kind of a a good feel kind of pr thing uh, totally well and i mean it's easy enough for them just to hand somebody popcorn to have it deliver like it's not taking too much out of cinemark's bottom line to just do it that way so Get your cold movie theater popcorn <laughs> delivered via Grubhub now. 
Uh, you want to take that next? We only have the headline. I wish we had a segment where we would just read the headlines, but unfortunately, our lawyers told us we were no longer allowed to have that segment. So, Mark, why don't you just take this next <laughs> story? An anonymous chat site, Omegle, closes down. Yes. So if you are familiar with the internet going back, Omegle, which is that um, it kind of looks like these Zoom windows where they just randomly pop two people up and you can pass or whatever. I don't, I don't think of that I've ever used Omegle, but just a random person generator basically on the internet. I, I've, I thought I was kind of surprised to see this story because in many of my late night meme compilations, many of which are just ripped directly from TikTok, like Omegle videos had were like making a big comeback. And yeah. I thought, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And so I think it's just cost and all. I mean, there I were, don't know what else. <laughs> there were some some interesting things done with Omegle uh, a, a couple years ago. Um, ben Folds did a live from the stage show and brought up on the big screen him uh, on stage is is his outgoing feed and some random dude or lady or group of kids or whatever would come up as, as the other and they were now part of the audience at the concert, at the concert. yeah, oh, that is yeah. So cool. and, and so he did that over and that's a that's a risky click right there uh so <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> I think a lot of it might come down to the risky click, the risky click of it all. But that Ben Folds uh, story reminds me of, um, oh, what was the competition to? I... Oh, oh, uh, Periscope. Periscope. When Madonna yeah. did some some live event that she periscoped, and I was like, oh, that didn't really ever happen, did it? <laughs> <laughs> I did realize, um, and I'll talk about it later. I'm I'm reading this gigantic new biography about her that came out and she was the first artist who put out a digital single oh and it was like 1994 i think that album would have been and like the first person and she held the record for like biggest global live stream audience and like from like 1999 or something like that she did something that was live streamed or something like that and i was like oh wow i didn't know any of that wow wow trailblazer mark <laughs> indeed well, if you've been on the computers at all, the internet at all, you've been seeing lots of uh, footage from the Sphere in Las Vegas where uh, U2 just played. And there's been quite a bit of drama as I read this article and pulled it. The Sphere CFO calmly quit after Madison Square Garden boss James Dolan's yelling and screaming. So first of all, I didn't know that the owner of the Sphere also uh, owned... It was the, oops, I just lost your window. Uh, the Mas Madison Square Garden, a couple other ones that we'll get to, but um, the financial chief for that splashy new sphere in Las Vegas abruptly quit because of all the yelling and screaming from his billionaire boss, James Dolan. Uh, Gustav Ranji, who was worked at, for only 11 months at the 2.3 billion, with a B, high-tech venue in Las Vegas, I uh, didn't elaborate why, but it says it wasn't because of um, any of the accounting or like any weirdness like that. Um, that Dolan guy is also owner of the uh, New York and Knickerbockers, the Knicks. Oh, wow. Um, they, the meeting had been called partly to prep for the company's quarterly earnings presentation, 
uh, which was slated for Wednesday. Uh, but in there, Dolan was yelling and screaming at Ranji, who in report calmly, in response, calmly left the room and gave his notice to the company's general counsel. Um, he's usually calm and can take and roll with it, said a source, but um, he had enough of Dolan's hair trigger temper. Dolan is the consummate hammer, the source adds. He treats everyone like a nail. Um, blah, blah, blah. This is unheard of. Um, but then it says Dolan's hands-on role in leading the sphere um, because of the president left the company in February after he was hired the previous March. The CEO of one of his other, um, he owns the AMC networks, left in November after being there three months. And um, someone else stepped down in 2022 after eight years with a company. So it sounds like he's perhaps not not a great person to be working for but they are more they it was more than a billion dollars over budget wow that sphere and they're yeah they're having a huge they're losing lots and lots of money right now which could be maybe just because it's startup but then i was reading another article about all these immersive exhibits and how expensive they are and how everyone comes at the beginning or whatever but everything tapers off by quite a bit so it'll be interesting yep. they're wanting to build a sphere in london and in in europe and all of those things too so so i just saw one of the neatest features of the sphere that i Ooh. i'd seen you know it's got a full projection screen on the outside but what i didn't and and a full uh screen on the inside as well what I didn't realize is there's cameras on the outside that they can, uh, let's see if I can do this. So um, what I'm showing you is the view from inside the sphere Whoa. of the outside. So it makes it look like it's transparent and all Whoa. of the cameras on the outside collectively make a spherical image projection on the inside so it looks like you're looking through the walls out onto the strip of the las vegas strip wow it's that's crazy really really impressive yeah um, so, i didn't know that happened either that's so cool yeah i mean yeah it is a it is a cool thing the two billion dollars worth of cool in, a, in our time of being but yeah. well why don't you take this next story uh, demolition of Darcel 15 Plaza delayed, pushed to January of 2024. The park was initially scheduled for demolition in the fall. However, the project was delayed after officials determined that more reinforcement was needed to stabilize the streets located above the park's underground parking structure. The Portland Bureau of Transportation demolition will... The Portland Bureau of Transportation... <laughs> Demolition, demolition will be completed in January, leaving graded slopes and grass, McHugh uh, said. And uh, the Portland Parks and Recreation will begin construction in the spring after finalizing permits and securing a contractor. The city is aiming to finish construction in the summer. And so, so where where exactly is this park? Um, it's up. Um, is it off of Burnside, yeah. like in that weird pocket where yes. the kind of the diagonal roads come together? Okay. Yes. So it's not in my mental head because I feel like it must have been closed forever because I've always avoided that, I guess. Um, let's let's get let's 
and I had no idea there was that parking structure underneath that. How on earth did you even get to that? Yeah, so it is right on the corner of Harvey Milk and between Park and Ninth. So hold on one second. Okay. Harvey Milk. Apparently there's a new Ritz Carlton there that pushed out the food carts. Oh, yes. We hate them. And they can't save the rose, the distinct rose shaped fountain is too damaged to uh, be saved. So if we go, sorry for. If we go. Alder, Washington, Harvey Milk. Ah, uh, yes. And then we... between Ninth and park as much as as much as my microphone situation is a disaster the lighting i'm getting right now from that window is very flattering yeah um yeah yeah so um it's hard to (laughs) see let me see if i can get are you just pulling up google earth what are you doing yeah kind of okay should i read our next story while you do that yeah i got it Uh, whatever you want to doop 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 okay and so here is um where's um broadway yeah so burnside oh, okay. is over here and then or burnside harvard it, yeah so burn burnside's yeah. here the new ritz carlton is right there and then okay. uh broadway is right in here and so it's kind of that little nest between yeah okay. broadway and and uh Burnside. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Boy, there's a lot of new buildings downtown there. Yeah, there sure is. It seems so wild with so many things so empty, but what do I know? Well, but there is good news, Mark. The Cascade Picas are seeing a strong comeback after the 2017 Eagle Creek fire. They are little the little teeny tiny mouse looking things that live in the forest Aww. that are like it says it's a russet sized animal mammal. Like, is that like as in the potato, potato or are there other things that are russet like is that a word that we just always associate with potatoes but it is an actual size because it's refers to a size um while you google as that. a noun it's just referred to as the color uh okay and as an adjective you know something can be russet so the russet potato is that brown potato right. Um, well, in this in this bold article, they they uh, call it a russet sized ma- uh, mammal known for little toy like squeaks uh, that are more related to rabbits and hares. The fluffy critters saw a significant de- decline in their population following the destructive fire. However, animal experts say the volunteers have recorded a fifty percent increase since two thousand eighteen nice. during their Pika Watch survey. <laughs> Uh, they had Pika sighting at 23 of the 31 studied sites. In the wake of the fire, conservationists were relieved to learn that one of the Columbia Gorge's fluffiest residents, the American Pika, was still squeaking by, Aww. said the Oregon Zoo. Uh, advisor for the Pika Watch program, Joanna Varner, said that the Gorge Pikas are nearing populations numbered seen before the fire, which is very in- uh, encouraging. Um they trained 170 citizen scientists who spent 1600 hours looking for the pikas over the summer and you too can join the 2024 pika watch 
if you sign up for free in-person or online training. So basically, I guess you just have to sit there and count the picas as they go by. So were they doing that before? If they they just trained, if they just trained them, maybe, maybe they just didn't see them because there weren't anybody (laughs) looking for them. They weren't trained to know how to look for something. (laughs) It would be interesting to see what that training is. Yeah. There's one. They just have, they just have pictures of pikas and then animals that are not pikas. And then you have to pick which one, which one is which. Pika. Well, why don't you take this next one? Baby shark. Uh, born That's via right. asexual reproduction, only the second recorded instance in U.S. zoo history. So according to a news release, the zoo, located in a <laughs> suburb of Chicago, <laughs> located in Chicago, the zoo, the zoo uh, said the appalate shark pup hatched on August 23rd. The shark's mother had not been housed with a male since 2019. Because of this, zoo staff believe the female went through a rare reproductive process known as parthenogenesis. 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 When an embryo develops from an unfertilized egg. The zoo said that that <laughs> is a natural occurrence in some invertebrates, but is very rare in vertebrates. In vertebrates, <laughs> including sharks. It's, wait, so it's 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 That's rare okay. in invertebrates, but very rare in vertebrates. <laughs> it's a natural occurrence in some animals without vertebrae, but it's <laughs> very go. rare. In animals with vertebrae. <laughs> Officials believe this is only the second time in uh, that one of these sharks has been born through asexual reproduction at a United States zoo. The first one was in a New England aquarium, which is where Brookfield Zoo's adult females originated. Huh. Zoo yeah, officials that's... said the shark is doing well. That's what I'm like. I wonder if this is just a freak lineage of these sharks that they're getting weird results from <laughs> right. because they're all from the same place because that is kind of weird that the only two times it's happened it were uh from those from, where the, the, from the same ones the oh. same source well mark before don't scroll down too much just go for that top section there um the kmart polls so this is our last feel-good story and and we'll see <laughs> if if anything clicks to you uh, Kmart pulls Christmas-themed bags off the shelves. Kmart stores in Australia have recently been under fire for selling Christmas-themed bags uh, with hams in them, uh, which they look like cloth bags. Uh, there's a ham in them. The Australian Jewish Association was one of the first to criticize the festive drawing drawstring bags. A company rep later told Political that they got it wrong and apologized. We got it wrong on this occasion, and we apologized unreservedly. When designing this product, we clearly didn't think through all the implications and the product has been removed from sale. So, Mark, without seeing the picture from scrolling down, what do you think is going on? Um, what, Did they also include a menorah and things like that in this Christmas theme? It, it, they said it's Christmas theme, not holiday theme. So Correct. I, yes. uh, and so... I, I. So, yes, you're close. You're close to have something printed it, on the bag. So now what is you it scroll blue and down white? a little bit? No. 
it says uh, in like festive cheery letters, Merry Hamas, but it looks a lot like Hamas. Oh. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> Mary Hamas. <laughs> Mary a few Hamas. Weeks, a few weeks after uh, the shit. Hamas terrorist group attacked Israel, killing more than 1,400 people. So. No, it's Hamas. <laughs> it's Hamas. Mary Hamas. It spelled differently, but yeah, Ham and then underneath oh, is Mass. So on a quick reading, one could be pretending <clears throat> to say, like, why does it say Mary Hamas? Hamas. So. Did, you, did you watch Bruno? Uh, at, no, I didn't. Uh, his should i yes i okay. believe so uh i watched i watched um borat yeah if you watch borat watch and and if you have an appreciation for uh like reality comedy shock prank right stuff right, okay right uh he he tries to broker a deal between hamas and israel and it's it's really poignant and hilarious uh and, yes, and as a jew he can do those things as a jew he can do those things and and the whole comedy is basically based on his misunderstanding and confusion between hamas and hummus uh <laughs> and i'll just leave that there so <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Well, I'm going to have you vamp for about 45 seconds while I go to the bathroom. Okay. So have fun with your sounders or whatever you do when I'm not here. What am I going to do? How'd we do? We 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 failed. We didn't Uh-oh. do anything. Uh, we... Looks like looks like Future Todd has some editing. Yes. Uh, I clapped in the middle of it so you can easily find oh, it. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, we have been finding that... Our uh, puppy, Penelope Pug, uh, yes. who's almost eight months old, she... Uh, spitting image of Nick. Spitting image of Nick. <laughs> the the biggest frustration that we have is towards the end of the evening, if she's still got energy or whatever, she uh, tends to lash out in a very playful way, trying to fight away the sleep demons, and so she'll bite and nip and play and dig and just just try and keep you awake so that she stays awake and and plays and we have tried all the things to exhaust her including the green laser which she loves like passionately freaks out about and so we have spent an hour in the backyard with basically doing wind sprints up and down the yard for an hour and she still is going after after that and we were exhausted and and couldn't do it couldn't move my wrist a quarter of an inch anymore uh she she beat us on on that one and so we've taken her to the dog park and and all that and for hours and the one thing that really causes her to fall asleep quickly is taking her to the Goodwill outlet bins. And it's the quantity of different smells and different interactions that she has with people. And she's on high alert and looking around. On the sliding doors, there's big 
pictures of humans as part of their marketing campaigns she oh, yeah, yeah. especially hates those and will bark at them uh they they don't look right and and she has a big problem with those uh, <laughs> but uh taking her to the bins and and so we now know that the bins at the airport now starts putting their bins away at 6 p.m even though their doors close at 7 p.m oh. uh, they start at the back and just start putting bins away to usher people out uh, quicker. And so that's their new uh, policy. Interesting. Which is, which is stupid. And, <laughs> uh, and so on Veterans Day on Friday, we took a tour of local bins. And so we went out to Hillsboro. Whoa, we that did, one is way out there. It's way out there. It's past Aloha. Yeah, it's it's way out there. So we did the, the Hillsboro bins. We did the Sherwood bins, and then we did the airport bins. We didn't make it to Vancouver. We were exhausted after that, and the pug, pug slept well. Well, good grief. How long did it take you get, to get out to the West bins? There was also so a, far away. There was a Yelp uh, experience that we were <laughs> able to get a, a hold of. So uh, basically, we're put on a list where if you go to this restaurant, then you get a free thing. And so we, uh, okay. we wanted to experience that as well. And we had Friday you off. You a Yelp list to send you to places to, to, to dig through trash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it brought you to the bins. Totally. Totally. Uh, but uh, so, so yeah, awesome. we, we've been we've been doing a lot of the bins, like literally seven days a week. Uh, finding finding any VHS for me? Zero. There, there's really Isn't it crazy? not a lot of VHS anymore. It is taking a dive. Making my life difficult, but less expensive, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I wanted to talk about today. I think we brought it up a, a while ago when I first saw it, but there was a video on YouTube that I stumbled across that was called, I promise this is interesting, a history of fonts. Oh, yeah. And I was like, it's another one of those things where it's like, well, how can how can this be interesting? Like when you actually watch the documentary Helvetica, which is all about one font, completely fascinating. And so he goes on a, uh, this is mostly from, and that channel is called Struthless, like truthless with an S in front of it, Struthless. Uh, if you want to watch it yourself, the video is very, very well done, very well produced. It's about half hour, half hour long or so. Yeah. So go check that out. But um, I wanted to walk through it because it is a little deeper and a little more fascinating than we, uh, we thought. Um, because if you keep pulling the threads of of a font we'll think of course word processing is where we mostly all know it from ourselves a little bit before that oh there's sign painting and advertising i guess has different fonts and back to the printing press i guess you need a font there but it goes mark way back to 8500 bc in mesopotamia what? where they use something called a clay boule to um to use symbols that stand uh, for things. So like if you were at a market and you had goats at home, you would have a big clay square tile that had a goat on it, that meant goat. Uh, and there was about 16 categories of things like grass or hay or chickens or whatever it was. Uh, but that was the first kind of idea of things being represented by images of that thing. Um, and that goes on to represent the basis of cuneiform, which is that graphic symbol of depicting things. 
Um, and the early ex example of written things was written in that cuneiform, which was lit written just like we read from left to right. And they wonder if that's for the same reason we do is because most people were right-handed and you don't drag your hand across everything. So that cuneiform was written in, in left to right. Uh, the cuneiform morphs into the most famous of historical languages uh, based on pictures, which is hieroglyphics. So cuneiforms looked very similar to that, uh, but now ancient Egypt uh, expands on that in their hiero uh, hieroglyphics. And at the same time, even though we kind of know more of the history of all this in the Middle East and around there, just because the history is a little more thorough, all around the world's different civilizations are doing that thing of like, oh, we'll just use a symbol of the thing to mean the thing as part of their writings. But now when we get to ancient Greece and the Phoenicians and... I wrote my, a note to myself last night. Ah. Oh, that's where phonics comes from. Ah. The Phoenicians. Hook, I just hooked never, on Phoenicians. Hooked on Phoenicians worked for me. Uh, well, those Phoenicians dared to ask, what if we made the symbols more abstract? And what if we broke it down so that we can make bigger words with those things instead of the symbols meaning discrete things only? And so they came up with 22 letters, which is the Greek, Greek lapidary letters. Um, they were only in uppercase. And the way you read tablets uh, changed. So you would go the first line left to right, then right to left on the next line. And you would like centipede huh. your way down. Huh. Um, uh, doing it that way is called as the ox plows. Interesting. Or bustofedon. Uh, bustofedon was the name for that. Um, but now we finally get into fonts because we're in ancient Rome and those big buildings need letters on them to tell us what they need uh, to spell court C V O R T or however they have to do it. Cause they still only had those 22 letters, but they turn that into the 26 letter, uh, Latin alphabet that we are mostly familiar with today. Um, but when they printed those things onto, like, say, stone, they gave, they gave each little character a little hat and a little foot. The serif, which we all know are those little ornamental things on the uh, tips of letters if you're using a serif font and not a sans serif font. We'll come back to sans serif, so don't you, don't you worry your pretty little heads about that. Um, but before we go too much longer in the Western world, let's go back to China in 1040 AD. They do have a movable type of uh, a movable type system that looks like a giant wheel of fortune type wheel uh, that held little stamps. Uh, each one of them weren't near, weren't really individual letters, but you could build using those little yeah. stamps. Um, and in Korea, they had metal metal movable type in 1230 AD. But what really kicked things off was the of course printing press in 1440 by our good friend Gutenberg uh, which of course you mass produced letters and books uh, using stamped uh, little metal metal stamps of different letters and of course we started with the Gutenberg Bible the first thing printed and that uh, the lettering on that was modeled on the ornate calligraphy style called black letter uh, which kind of looks like the old English font that we kind of know that you get on like the back of your high school letter jackets or if you're like getting something hardcore tattooed on you, you're using that that old English font. So that's what uh, kind of the Gutenberg Bible um, 
sort of looks like because that's what that's the same style of handwriting that the monks used when they uh, they were previously of course you only had handed hand printed anything and so that's the bible passed down passed down use that sort of lettering which we can now kind of picture in your head it starts with that like the giant first letter with some things on it and then mm -hmm. that kind of ornamental ornamental font um 30 years after that so that we're on we're nearing 1500 we're at 13 or 1480 excuse me um we get another innovation and that was a man named nicholas jensen saying hey this old english black letter font is really hard to read what if what if we didn't use that uh, and he that inspired him to make clean roman letters based on that same kind of font they would use uh in roman and he invented the roman typeface which not only was an immediate hit then it is still the most popular typeface on earth most of our books are written in some sort of roman typeface font with their cute little easy to read uh serifs on them and once that new that new Roman typeface dropped, other designers were like, oh, we can design things too because now there's foundries everywhere needing to make letters for their local printing things. And so all across Europe, more of these foundries open up and more of the designers are starting to make fonts of their own or typefaces of their own. Um, the Italian Renaissance uh, was not only in their art, but the way that they wrote by hand and uh, that was called Cursive Humanistica, which sort of looks like our cursive, but that paved the way for there to be italics in fonts with everything shifted to the side like that. Now we are in 1550 France, and a designer named Claude Garamond began his own style, which is still popular today. I love the font of Garamond. It still is so classy and elegant and wonderful. Um, that was from 1550 that typeface was invented and many of those designers um which is now a half century ago um we still use today baskerville bodoni fleischmann garamond those all came about at that some time but after even after all of this the hundreds of years of of the printing press and the 2000 years since the roman alphabet um got established they all had one thing in common and i don't know if you're reading my notes along with me but if uh, you aren't, then you can guess, Mark, what before this did all of these fonts have in common? We touched on it a um, little bit. Monospace? Uh, no, close. They were all serif fonts. Okay. They all had serifs on them. Got it. Uh, the sans serifs were used. That's obviously how everybody writes by hand. We don't handwrite serifs on our, Speak on for our lettering. <laughs> um, all that was used in writing but it didn't enter the printing game until the 1800s because people just saw it as a like why would you do this casual like not appropriate way of typing things uh, in that and those sans serif fonts are known as grotesques oh yeah which I didn't dig into deeper but I'm fascinated as the origin of that word yeah. grotesque if, if I always see that in we... Photoshop at, at, in the in the list of typefaces and grotesque oh, is always yeah. always up there and but then it's always old normal it's not yeah. like yeah. the friday the 13th font or like yeah. it's made of like guts or something like that so yeah i didn't dig any deeper onto that but grotesques i found fascinating that, that um uh, sans serif fonts were were known as that um so the first sans serif typeface was made by william carlson in the 1800s and that was called calson uh, or excuse me carlson 
Egyptian, which uh, looks a lot like a lot of the fonts that we still use today, like Gil Sands and all of those. A guy named Figgins came up with a second one, which was much different than that nice, elegant. Um, in fact, if you're using, I'm just like in Google Docs and whatever their default is, probably Arial is a lot like that uh, Carlson Egyptian. Yep. Um, but then a guy named Figgin comes up with a second sans serif font, which is kind of the opposite, which is just the huge, giant block letters, um, which was perfect for the rise of print marketing and advertising because there's super easy to read it commands attention it does everything it needs to be and it also was like super new and super hip because it wasn't the stodgy book type uh things uh then we get into the french arch uh, art nouveau movement which was a lot of flowery furnishes organic had um a letter styling of their own and you've probably seen it in a lot of old posters but like hippie bands in the 60s all right. used like a french art nouveau lettering that had like vines mm -hmm. off of it or like yeah super I, lots I, of or ornamentation yeah i can't say for sure but like strawberry alarm clock or whatever that there's some absurd band name like that that i know nothing about them other than <laughs> their name um but this movement of all this ornamentation taught the world of designers that you could morph letter forms more than you think, and they'll still be legible. Like we're not so rigidly constrained and that we have to make them all these things, all of this advertising and all this paintings with words on them show us that things can be communicated in, in letter forms that are much different than what they um, are in normal. Uh, and now we're in 1931, and there is a British newspaper called The Times, and they commissioned a man named Stanley Morrison to create a typeface for their paper, and he based it, of course, on the Roman typeface, and it is called Times New Roman, of course, from 1931. Um, while those Roman typefaces are getting a, a little facelift there, the other side of the coin, Dadaism, which is an art style spreading to uh, starting to spread in Switzerland, um all there's all these weird artists that are driven to switzerland in world war one um dadaism if you picture it it's like it's kind of like the collage ransom note thing where you're taking these contrasting styles and you're doing like it's anti-art it's a pushback against all this perfectionism um because all these fonts have become part of the the art revolution uh spirit of that time and it started to come to print design at that same time, in Russia, there's another revolution going on uh, from artists like Vavara Stefanova, and she is doing what is called constructivist. And that's what you think of when you think of like Russian propaganda, big, mm. bold lines, bold lettering, image, that sort of thing, harsh geometry, huge blocky fonts. That's going on. Uh, uh, that's what's happening over there in Russia. Uh, a little bit after that, we get the Bauhaus artistic movement, which asked... Is there a perfect universal way to doing all this now that we are universally communicating? So where, Mark, do you think the origin of a of a, of someone who wanted a perfect universal way to doing all this? <laughs> this what, what country do you think that's It sounds very from? Deutsch to me. Yes, a... German designer Herbert Bayer uh, designed the universal typeface, which is now called Bauhaus, uh, which is... Um, Ge geometric and circular it's only based on the on straight bars and circles so like when you see the circle o d you know those things only from bars and circles he argued now that things were coming more universal and how we communicate we needed to do it perfectly and efficiently 
Instead of perfectly efficient, we get World War II, and out of that rises something called Swiss modernism, which is a without ornament, no frills. Um, Gil Sands is a good example, and the king of all fonts, Helvetica. Um, they're the they're called the international typographic style, but yes, very straightforward, very unornamented, uh, um, not quite block, but um, yeah, very stiff. One of the biggest adapters of that international style was in, U in United States marketing and advertising. Um, it is also like every corporate font ever yeah. is just Helvetica. It is crazy having like our stop signs, like all of everything is Helvetica and it's a very international thing. Um, but that also leads to artistic rebellion, just like the Dadaists and people like Andy Warhol, uh, punks, uh, the proliferation of Z underground zines that are going around, wanted to break everything about the perfection of the design aesthetic. Um, so like band posters on telephone poles, all those really punk, punk aesthetics started to come to the rise too. All of this comes crashing together in the 1980s and we get the personal computer. And because Steve Jobs was such a fan of all of the culture of the 60s and 70s, from punk to advertising while he was uh, launching his wacky new wacky new product, the desktop computer. He hired a woman named Susan Kale to bring fonts to that system. And she designed a bunch of fonts, mostly named after cities. So we get Chicago, Geneva, Monaco, all of those fonts were designed by Susan Kale. Um, and uh, as well as that old happy Mac symbol. Do you remember oh, that yeah. one when like things were going well, we got our happy Mac. Oh yeah. She designed that too. So um, a new font revolution explodes because of the personal computer. Um, and this is a good a good place to type out or to point out that I've been kind of using typeface and font interchangeably. So the thing we think of as font is technically a typeface. It is what the letter looks like, the letter form. All of that stuff is called a typeface, probably because of the face of the type of in the printing machine. That's just what they called it. Uh, Steve Jobs, when designing his handy new computer, just called them fonts, and it could be because it was shorter, but font is the way you alter a typeface, so the size of it, the weight of it, italics of it, that sort of thing is technically font, so he oh. instead just called fonts what we refer to fonts now as, as what our typeface is, so I don't know if anyone ever asked him why, <laughs> it would make sense to me that it's nice and short. Yeah. Um, um, and then we're getting into the 1990s. Everything is becoming grungy and distressed. It's another deconstruction of this 80s aesthetic. Um, a lot of it was based on this one designer from Ray Gun Magazine, and his stuff was all over advertising, all over fonts at that time. We can kind of all picture those grungy fonts. And finally, we get to the pinnacle mark of our story, 1994. It's here. What is it, Mark? Comic Sans. It is comic. It is time. It is the before and after of our universe as we know it. <laughs> the invention of Comic Sans by a name, a man named Vincent Conair. And he was a font maker. He made a, a trebuchet, wild style, and webding. So he did a bunch of them. Um, but he designed Comic Sans because there was a problem. When you started up those 1994 Windows computers, a little animated dog rover, which apparently was like the clippy of its time, would appear on screen and like talk things. But his speech bubbles were like Times New Roman or whatever. And he's like, that doesn't fit like this happy puppy dog. 
And so based on lettering from comic books, uh, he invented Comic Sans and it just exploded in popularity because it was just so, it was so good for things that weren't frivolous, but not serious. I mean, it was just a, and, and because it is, uh, doesn't use what they call a mirrored glyph. It like the, O, the D and the B aren't just mirrors of each other. They are distinct. So people with dyslexia and people that have difficulty reading letter forms that are based on the same lines and everything, um, I, it's easier for them to read. But yes, you've highlighted. The, I'm, <laughs> I'm looking part. it up. <laughs> we have so many possible show images today. I'll be interested to see what I come up with. But probably this one, because in 2012, there's a World War II memorial unveiled in Holland that was its huge and it could be that the picture he showed on screen was not what it was uh in real life so I don't know if you found pictures of that yeah but but uh is it a, a big ba- a black obelisk tombstone looking yeah. thing yeah okay okay so that was a correct yeah it's a giant black obelisk tombstone looking things on which for this World War II room they chose comic sands and it was so made fun of, they eventually had to change it. So, oh yeah, you're bringing it up. Verzoning, that's what, I, oh wow. So I thought in the video that I was watching, it literally looks like a Photoshop, like a shit post, <laughs> right. you know, meme Photoshop. So I was like, oh, maybe he's just doing that as a joke nope. for the real thing. But it, yeah, so I'll use that. Thing. <laughs> so apparently they they changed that. Yeah. But, um, so a couple more infamous fonts before we um, wrap up. Uh, papyrus, papyrus. Which one is papyrus, it? Papyrus, papyrus, and it's so prevalent. Like up until about ten years ago, maybe it was everywhere. Everybody's logo, everybody's logo. Had you know all the menus at restaurants, the well, and wellness yeah. facilities, all uh, went to that one. Yeah. But it was invented in 1982, which was kind of surprising by a guy named Chris Costello. And I mean, it was so dunked on even in the early 2000s that the fact that Avatar used (laughs) used it, papyrus, papyrus, Papyrus. whatever. Um, So then we have Trajan, who it might not sound familiar, but it is the movie poster, the movie poster font. So like Titanic, Minority Report, like every single movie uses Trajan. Um, and that was made in 1989 by Carol Twombly. Uh, Joker Man, which looks like sort of the chili pepper, um, that sort of font. It's like the yeah, the ch- basic uh, was that's from 1995 by Andrew K. Smith. Uh, and Curls MT in 1995. It took two people, Steve Madison and Carl Costner, <laughs> to invent Curls MT. Uh, this is a great quote from the um, from the guy Vincent Conair who did Comic Sans, he said, if you like Comic Sans, you don't know much about design. If you hate Comic Sans, you don't know much about design. Nice. Which I thought was a great little quote. So anyway, through the 2000s, we're getting like the 3D types of fonts, all of those, but then memes and hipsters start bringing back the old fonts, including the 1960s impact font, which is the basic meme format of picture with the font white font black outline heavy impact font which became the meme um the uh, a lot of hipster thing like every single 
burger shack that you've ever seen that's trying to be a hipster burger place has the same uh, sort of lettering cooper cooperstown or cooper standard is another big one even i use that one um but now um uh helvetica steve john let's see uh oh uh steve jobs also gave uh helvetica itself a, a bump because that is the main font of the apple ira uh ios but yeah it is on like i said every corporate logo everything is helvetica and so now typeface isn't just words uh font is art and design and it's communication and it's used everywhere all over the world i mean all of these logos and all these letter forms are familiar all around the world um and they're separate from just the words that they stand for but they're just like part of part of everyday language so it was like i said go see this truthless uh did a, a fantastic video on this um but yeah super fascinating just how that evolves over the time uh, over time it really is i i wouldn't have guessed the whole story starting ten thousand years ago but uh, yeah it kind of makes sense and in, in terms of making things into tablets you know you need something to uh, you gotta write it down gotta write yeah. it down yeah. yeah, and the fact that we've been using that Roman typeface for like literally Forever. two thousand, three thousand yeah. years now is pretty insane. Yeah. So, uh, very cool. Very nice. cool. What is your favorite font, Mark? Um, I like uh, a solid Monaco. Uh, oh or, wow! Yeah. Um, there's uh, there's a couple that. I liked one, and it somehow got erased off my computer, and I'm devastated because I used it for all my um all my work stuff too was called the Hofler text mm. and it was just such a beautiful I mean it it looked fairly normal but just uh different enough that it looks like it looks super great so yeah Robo RIP Hofler test Roboto uh fills in pretty well in a sans serif for me nice yeah. nice yeah fantastic well this has been great thank you for muscling through it I know you've been feeling a little bit ill um, and all of the tech problems that I inadvertently caused <laughs> by trying to change my Zoom mic. Um, so thank you for that. And I don't know what we'll end up taking us out with, but Mary Hammas, Mark. Mary <laughs> Hammas. 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 Mary Hammas, Mark. <laughs> awesome. All right. We uh, are off next week for Sarah's birthday, but then well, I think we're doing um, another Portland at the Movies coming up soon. So, but anyway, yeah, if you haven't checked out that last episode of Portland at the Movies, check it out because it's really worth, really worthwhile. Um, Fun Employment Radio, all that, blah, blah, blah. Thank you for listening. All right. Talk to you later. Bye.